Thanks, worship team. Well, this morning, we get to begin a new series that I'm really looking forward to, and I hope you are as well. It's a series called Second Timothy, Enduring for the Gospel. You know, in these early uh, months, as your, uh, as your pastor, uh, I really want to be, I'm trying to be as strategic as possible, um, as prayerful, and as thoughtful as possible in what I choose for our, our sermon series. To lay out a, a, a vision for a church, our church, God's vision for our church, His church. A vision that captures the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. And all the implications of that good news, of His message, all the implications of that, all the lines you could draw out from the message of Christ for our church, for our common body life, you might say. Philippians was a great start. We kind of started there. That was our first kind of big series with its grand themes of, uh, of church unity, of joy in the gospel, and a gospel-centered hope. Well, 2 Timothy, I pray, is going to be the same as we hear God's Word. At Bethany Church, we believe. We believe that God speaks when we open His Word. And when we open His Word, God speaks. So let's do that again today. Uh, so grab that outline if you got it. Hopefully you have it open in front of you and your text open as well as we begin. Here, with a question. Here's the question. If I was to ask you, maybe you know, but do you know what our mi mission statement is at Bethany Church? Do you know what it is? Yeah, I, I've heard a couple of you, a couple people you saying, our mission statement is helping people follow Jesus. Helping people follow Jesus. That's, that's our mission here at Bethany Church. But have, have you ever asked yourself the question, or maybe you haven't, but I'm going to ask it for us. <laughs> and I was this week, I was asking myself the question, uh, how do we do that? How do we help people follow Jesus? What, what do we need to do that? How, does that? how does that take place in a person's life to help somebody follow Jesus? Or as a church, how do we do that? It's really a question about discipleship. Discipleship. And if you ask the question about discipleship in the church or different people, what is it? Or how does it happen? There's all kinds of different books, all kinds of different resources, all different kinds of opinions on how you help somebody follow Jesus. And it really is, it's the question, I would say, for our church, for the church. And this is our, our mission. And I believe the mission of the entire church around the world. world. Discipleship. How do you help someone follow Jesus? Well, I think, I believe 2 Timothy is going gonna, is gonna to help us do that. To kind of put frame around the windows, so to speak. To put the panes of glass, like you see kind of back there in our new logo, or the windows we have out in the gathering place. Windows that need support, a frame to be in, a structure to hold them in place, to rest upon. 2 Timothy is going to do that for us. Give us those, those frames to build in a structure to rest upon as we help each other and people follow Jesus. What does that look like? Well, this morning we're going to look at three helps. Three helps, I think the passage shows us, that God has given us in the church to produce sincere, faithful, courageous, committed followers of Jesus. But before we look at those three helps, I want to ask and continue to answer the question, 
why? Let's continue. It's the first half this morning with answering that question, why 2 Timothy? And in so doing, uh, why this is our next study, and in answering that question, it's going to serve as well as the background for this book. As we, we jump into a fresh book in the first week, it's nice to know a little bit about it. So we answer that question, why? My desire as a leader at the, in, in our church, as a pastor, is to always answer questions of why. Answer questions, why as a church, to think through the purpose uh, for anything we do and the reason behind something we do, whether it's um, sermon-based uh, life groups uh, or uh, expository preaching or blended worship. I always want to have a why behind it, not just, well, this is what we do, but why. So why 2 Timothy? Here's the first reason why. It's a letter we're going to see. It's one from, we're going from one prison letter, Philippians, to another. It's another prison letter. If you remember our study in Philippians as we went through, Paul was writing from jail. He was writing from prison at that time too, as he is now 2 Timothy. But in Philippians, it was his first Roman imprisonment. 2 Timothy, I think, is kind of a fitting companion to Philippians as it's another letter that Paul wrote from jail, written under duress, under stress, for the sake of the church. But that first arrest, if you remember back to Philippians, we went through that series, that first arrest that Paul was under when he wrote that letter to the Philippian church was like what we would describe today as house arrest. It wasn't that bad. Yes, Paul was confined, but he still was in the comfort of his own home at that time, or a home. That was where Philippians was written from. Here, though, in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing from an actual prison. You might even call it more like a dungeon. Tradition records it as possibly this place in Rome called the Mamertine Prison. You see it pictured here. That doesn't look like house arrest, does it? That looks a little more uh, uncomfortable. That is a brick room. Not a lot of light. We're to envision Paul here now, having suffered, having aged, wearing real chains now, in a real prison-like situation, more like a dungeon, as he writes Second Timothy. His initial trial had already taken place at this point, and he's basically awaiting his actual execution now. He was in a place that was hidden, out of the way, Hard to find. If you look at verse 12 in chapter 1, he says there, Onesimus had a hard time. He had to search for him even in the city. Where's Paul? Where is he? Wasn't like house arrest. Maybe one window letting in a few rays of light into this dusty, musty, dark room. Writing words in this letter even where he says, the time of my departure has come. He says that in 2 Timothy. And he is. He's executed shortly after writing this, most likely beheaded. In 2 Timothy, we have Paul's famous last words. It's the last thing he wrote that we have in the canon of Scripture, in the Bible. And it's been described, I think even because of that, as a very personal a, a, a letter. A letter full of real, real humanity. A letter full of heartfelt, his heart, really. Heartfelt encouragement and comfort. As Paul, he passes on now the provision for the gospel now that his race is almost over, literally, on earth. Hence our image you see there on the cover of your worship folder, the passing of the baton. The passing of the baton. Paul is handing off, handing off 
the mission, the gospel to Timothy. It's like, you could describe the letter like Paul's last will and testament to the church. But as I said, it's also a very personal letter because of that. Because of the situation, I think. Intensely personal, and it's our second reason why. It's a letter written to a young leader in over his head. (laughs) It's written to a young Timothy. A leader in over his head. We probably know a little bit about Timothy if you've read the New Testament. And he was mentioned in Philippians. But Timothy, for 15 years, 15 years now, had traveled with Paul as his faithful companion, his faithful uh, missionary partner, you might say. He traveled all over, all over Europe and some of Asia with Paul. And he was with him even during that first Roman imprisonment. The first one. Do you remember from Philippians? Here was a verse. For I have no one like him, he's speaking of Timothy, who will, genuine, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy, his proven worth. How as a son, with a father, he served me in the gospel. Like father and son, Paul and Timothy were in the gospel. He'd served with Paul over those 15 years in the gospel. He says, I've got no one like him. There's no one like him. So after this first imprisonment where Timothy was with Paul, Paul sets him up, a young Timothy now, probably in his 30s somewhere, as the leader of the church in Ephesus. It was a huge responsibility for a young guy. Huge responsibility. And Timothy, as you said, he was, here's a few things. He was young. We know that. He was probably an introvert. He was pretty timid, we think, as some of the, scripture, some of the descriptions uh, of him and references to him in the Bible. And he was prone to illness, too. He had a lot of things that he was fighting against. He was prone to illness. And now then, think about it. He's placed in charge of the church at Ephesus, in a church there where there was heresy to counter, false teaching. There were leaders he needed to raise up in the church. There was uh, worship services to lead and order and, and conflict that was in the church. And, and then now his mentor, his pa- uh, the pastor, his mentor, his spiritual father was about to die as well. That's a lot. Pressure was increasing for that young Timothy. And so what we've got here are these heartfelt words to a man, Timothy, who, humanly speaking now, was way in over his head. Way in over his head. And as I think about that, there is a bit of me and Timothy as a youngish pastor, right? First lead role, wanting to lead our church well, right? Humanly speaking, right? In over my head. It's a bit of me and Timothy. It's one of the reasons why with this letter. But as we think about it, as we're honest with ourselves, isn't that a bit of all of us at times in the Christian life? You ever feel over your head or in over your head? Or uh, a question arises and you don't quite know how to answer? How many of you feel overly competent if we had to answer the question, why did God allow evil? Or maybe even explain the gospel to a friend if it said, what is the gospel? How many of us feel overly confident now? Or answer, you know, why does your church, why do you guys keep holding on to that traditional marriage thing? Well, this is a real question you could be asked. 
Would any of those make you feel in over your head? In over our head. My head, our head, all of us. That's totally understandable on one hand. We're talking about helping people follow Jesus now, right? Helping people seek Christ, eternal truth, life and death. There's an urgency there. There's opposition around in our culture. It's understandable. It's understandable that you and I at times would feel in over our, our heads. That's okay. Because there's a third reason why this morning. Because the power and the answer to helping people follow Jesus doesn't ultimately lie in you and me. It doesn't lie in you and me. It's the third reason why here, which 2 Timothy is not short on, the preoccupation with the gospel and God's word we're going to see in this letter. It's our third reason why. The preoccupation with the gospel and God's word. Paul, as we said, remember, he's about to die. What would happen to the gospel after he's gone? What would happen to this message about Jesus Christ after he's gone? He's essentially the, the primary leader in all the church at that time. What's going to happen when he's gone? Not only that, but the emperor Nero at this time, the Roman emperor at this time, had begun a, a massive persecution of Christians. This is, the, this is the kind of historical setting now. There was heresy on the increase, so false teaching, uh, non-truth, on the rise, on the increase in the, in the church. There were those refuting Jesus Christ now that called themselves Christians that were in this early, young, fledgling church. There were initial ways of those who had early on accepted Christ that seemed to be falling away now. Look at verse 15 of chapter 1 there. Paul seems to say like something like all Asia almost turned away, it seems like we read that. All Asia almost, it seems like they're, they're turning away from the gospel. Humanly speaking now, the church was on the verge of collapse. They were in over their head, humanly speaking, it looked like. At this moment, when Paul wrote this letter, who would speak? Who would, who would live the truth? Who would carry on the gospel after he was gone? You know, we do. We live in an age, if we are honest, we live in an age when churches, and I would say individual Christians, are having to ask themselves that question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? We're in kind of a, I would say, almost a winnowing, winnowing out age when it's becoming less culturally popular and acceptable to stand for Christ, to, to tie your, your wagon to Christ, to tie your life to Him and the truth, an exclusive truth claim of the Gospel. Churches in our community right now are asking themselves this question. Churches in our community right now are. In our state, in our nation, they're asking themselves, is it really worth it? Is it worth it? We need this letter today. We need this letter today. I love how John Stott, he was a British uh, pastor, in his Second Timothy commentary, I love how he summar summarizes this, this letter now and its preoccupation with the gospel. They're going to be the frame now, the frame around which we view this book. And each chapter really, each chapter uh, is going to be, uh, how we frame it is going to be around gospel language. And there are four exhortations. Take a look. They're in your outline there, but we've got them here. Here's the first one. In preoccupation with the gospel and God's word. Chapter one is this. It's an exhortation to guard the gospel. Chapter one, verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard 
the good deposit entrusted to you. And what was that good deposit? It was a body of truth. It was a body of, of fact. It was a body of whatever you want to call it, doctrine. It was the gospel. And Paul passes on to Timothy and the church, guard it. You've been given something now, guard it. That's chapter one. Chapter two now to continue to see this preoccupation with the gospel. Chapter two is this, exhorted to suffer for the gospel. To suffer for the gospel. Chapter two says this, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as criminal. It's one of the questions we have to ask. Will we guard it? Will we suffer for it? You may be called and asked to do that as an individual, and we may as a church suffer for the gospel. Here's the third one. Chapter 3 is an exhortation to continue in the gospel. Continue in the gospel, which must must mean there's a temptation for each and every one of these to do the exact opposite, right? If we're being exhorted in the positive. The negative would be to abandon the gospel. So Paul says in chapter 3, continue. Here's our verses. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in. Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. Don't abandon it. Continue in it. Hold on to it. Guard it. Suffer for it. Continue in it. Stay in it. Really what we're saying is, and what Paul is saying here, and what John Stotts pointed out for us in his commentary, is that we don't move on to something else. We never graduate or move on from the gospel, the good news of Christ. It's that thing that we swim in as a church. It's that thing that we proclaim. It's that thing we love. It's that thing we hold on to. It's that very thing that changes us from the inside out. And so Paul says, continue in it. Because there's always a temptation there must be to abandon it. To abandon the thought that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. Continue in it. Here's the fourth one. We're exhorted to proclaim it. So chapter 4 is under the umbrella of proclaim the gospel. Uh, Verses 1 and 2 from chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Patient teaching and preaching, Paul says. This is how we help people follow Jesus. 2 Timothy says, Paul says in an overarching now big picture before we dive in, we guard the gospel. We suffer for the gospel. We continue in the gospel. We don't move on to something else and we proclaim it. It's all over this letter. You can even see from that little quick, fast overview. It's Christ. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. We keep coming back to that. It's His supremacy. His supremacy. I think I've even seen that um, written somewhere before. Right? Oh, yeah, right. It's right there, right? Jesus is supreme. That's what we're talking about. It's right there even in verse 1 for us to take a look at. Take a look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul now, he's this apostle. He's called by God's will. He was an apostle, though, that had a purpose, appointed for this. And so are we. Here it is. 
the promise, verse 1 says, of life that is in Jesus Christ. There's his purpose. There is his purpose. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? The way, the truth, and the life. He's defeated death, and he's brought life everlasting through the gospel. Paul says, I've been called for this purpose. When you're really thirsty, I want you to think about that for a minute. Time when you were the most thirsty. It was a hike or an exercise or maybe you were sick. That happens too. There's almost, it's really hard to think of anything else, isn't it? Kind of starts with a, I got it right now, a little dry mouth. It's kind of there, you know, you're like dry mouth. You're like, oh, you feel parched. And then if you don't get water, you know, for a few minutes, a couple hours, you start to really feel it, don't you? You almost can feel uh, dehydration in your body if you get really thirsty. So much so that all you can think about it sometimes is, give me water, give me water, give me water, right? Just totally dehydrated and parched. You have felt that before. I love this quote. The gospel is like water. It's like water. Man did not invent it. And man cannot live without it. Therefore, faithful servants of Jesus will will take the water, not only themselves, but they'll take it to thirsty men and women. Are you showing the thirsty where you found everlasting water? So Paul's saying in these four chapters, this is what you need. This is what you take. This is what you live off of. It's, It's helping people follow Jesus. That's our mission. It's helping people follow Jesus. Jesus. But the interesting thing about the gospel and water now, the metaphor, is how do you see your need of water? The more you go without it, right? The more you see your need of it. The gospel and Jesus Christ are actually the exact opposite. The more time you spend with him, the more we speak about him, the more you immerse yourself in truth about him, the more you want of him. The more you want of him. Because you grow your relationship and your understanding and he grows in his supremacy in your mind's eye and in your in your heart so it's like water but not like water too the more you drink of the gospel the more you want the more you need it's the why three helps though in our passage today are going to help us start this to do this to carry on what we have been doing here at bethany church three helps in our passage are going to point us how to do this to produce these kind of disciples that love the gospel like water, that see their need of it, to produce, really, Timothys or or leaders in the church or or followers of Christ. Here's the first help. We each need now, we each need a mentor, thoughtful, prayerful, loving. Picking up in verse 2 through 4, To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. The Apostle Paul, was absolutely devoted, like water, to to pour himself into Timothy. To pour himself into Timothy's life. Into who he was, who he was becoming. Timothy was 
a work in progress. A work in progress, like all of us, right? All of us. We're, we're, we're works in progress. And Paul came alongside him, even after 15 years now of serving together. In his final letter, he's still mentoring, guiding Timothy, pointing him towards, verse 2, pointing him towards grace and, and mercy and peace in Christ that he needs. He calls him his beloved child, a spiritual father with a son. He's thoughtful. He's thinking about the one that he's mentoring. He's thinking about Timothy. You get a sense in those verses. First, by thanking God for him, but also as he, as he remembers him. Three times in these early verses, he says, I remember this about you. He's thoughtful. I remember this about you, Timothy. I, I'm thinking about you, Timothy. A mentor is someone in your life, in the church, who, who makes a conscious effort to think about a person. And not only to think about that person, but think about that person's spiritual growth, their spiritual progress, their spiritual health and the faith. Concern for another. That's really it. Paul was concerned and thoughtful about Timothy, a thoughtful mentor. But Paul also, as he thinks, he says he prays for Timothy too. Daily, he says. Night and day in those verses he wrote. So here now. Here's Paul again. In prison, but a worse prison than the Philippian setting. In a dungeon. In a dark room. And again, he isn't obsessing over himself. How is that possible? He says it in verse 3. I have a clear conscience. I have a clear conscience. What do you mean by that? Does that mean that Paul was perfect, right? Or that he was sinless? Paul knows his record. We know his record as a persecutor of the church even. But he says, I've got a clear conscience. Paul can think away from himself and towards others because he knows his conscience, his security, his life is secure in Jesus Christ. So even in jail, even when he knows I've reached the end of my race, he can think about somebody else. That's what the gospel does. It makes us think of ourselves, not think of ourselves, uh, think less of ourselves, but it makes us think of ourselves less, right? Think of ourselves less. Paul did that. He had that, and he prayed daily. He's sitting in a dungeon, and he says, You know what? My life is ending, but I can still write, and I can still pray, I can still do those two things. How wonderful to have somebody, think about this now, who prays for you night and day. Do you have that? You do. You have the Holy Spirit that intercedes for you. But you have that here too on an earthly level. Someone who prays for you night and day. A praying mentor Paul was to Timothy. And he does. Here's why. Because as a mentor, he loves Timothy. So a thoughtful mentor, a prayerful mentor, but a loving mentor. Verse 4 is touching. He says, I, I, I remember you. I remember your tears. I long to see you so I'll be filled with joy. It's a really touching verse. He's thinking of Timothy's tears. Probably the last time they were together. Maybe it was Paul being taken off to this second Roman imprisonment and Timothy wept. There were tears there as he was taken to prison. And the thought of Paul there now as he thinks of his dear friend, as he thinks of his brother in Christ, is, if I could see you, I would be so full of joy. Makes him deeply emotional. That's a mentor relationship. Someone who thinks about the other, 
prays for the other because he loves the other. So here's the question for us. How important in your life today, in our collective life here, is that idea of one-on-one discipleship or one-on-one kind of life-on-life mentorship or growth or spiritual friendship, even might call it. We hear, you know, I, I hear that, I understand that, but, but this is a letter written now by the Apostle Paul to a pastor. Timothy's a pastor, and it doesn't really apply to all of us. Well, look what Paul says in chapter 2. We're going to get to it in a few weeks. He says, And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There it is. So Paul says to Timothy, I've entrusted the gospel to you. Now you go and trust it to others so that they can take it on and do the same with it to others and others and others. And there it is. It's that pattern in the church that Paul says. This is how we grow. Mentors coming alongside, pouring in and passing it on. Now you go do the same. Pass it on. Here's a question we should ask ourselves always. Do you have a Timothy in your life? Do you have a Paul in your life? That's what we're seeing here. We should ask ourselves that. Not just the church, but just even personally. Do you have a Timothy in your life? Someone you can uh, come alongside of, be thoughtful of, pray for, love on, care for. Maybe it involves formal sitting down around the Scripture and studying, but it doesn't always have to. Do you have a Timothy? Or do you have a Paul in your life? Somebody that's a little further on in the faith. Maybe living it a little longer, a little more mature that you're kind of, hey, I want to be around that guy. Oh, I want to be around that lady. And just glean off of them. Do you have a Paul and a Timothy? I want us to think in those terms here at Bethany Church. And it's why places outside of just Sunday morning are so important. Whether it's life groups or men's groups or women's groups or just one-on-one Bible study. We, it's so valuable in the church. We, we've got to do that. We've got to do that. Helping people follow Jesus goes deeper than just Sunday morning. It has to. It's got to. It's our first help. To help people follow Jesus, we need a culture of mentorship. The Christians coming alongside of Christians, Paul's and Timothy's together. Here's our second. A mother. A mother. Faithful examples. We need a mother. Don't you need a mother? You need five mothers, right? Maybe not. Some of us have five mothers, but we feel like we do, right? We need a mother, a faithful example. Look at verse 5 with me. I'm reminded, he said, of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy now, not only had a great mentor in his life, a Paul, somebody to pour into him, somebody that cared for him and prayed for him and loved him, but he had people in his life who lived out a faith. It was sincere, Paul calls it. And it lived deep in them, deep within them even. He points out these generations here. Your grandmother, your mother, and now you. Three generations, he says there. He lists. It's the sincere faith of three generations mentioned. And there's such a powerful example in that. In the faithful examples of of those that live a deep faith in front of us, especially in our families now, but in our church. We actually talked a lot about it last week, didn't we? That idea of, uh, in our parenting message, about living a real, vibrant faith, not just in the church, 
but in our homes or wherever we are in front of people, living that faith in front of each other. But here he says, Timothy has it too. So he's got to believe for himself. Timothy has to have a real, real sincere faith for himself, but it did not come without the influence of others. A grandmother. Maybe open the Scripture with him. A mother who maybe just prayed with him before bedtime, right? So they, they seem so simple, those little things. But look what Paul's saying here. I know the sincere faith is in you because I've seen it in your grandmother. I've seen it in your mother, and now I see it in you. We cannot underestimate the importance of this. And what happens if we don't do this? If we don't live out a real sincere faith, not only in front of our kids, but in front of each other, but in front of the world. It reminds me of the phrase, the little phrase that says, it's three generations. One generation, you'll see it popping up there, believes the gospel. The next generation assumes the gospel. The third does what? Denies the gospel. What does that mean? We're saying it, it takes one generation to lose the truth. It takes one generation to lose the gospel. In a family, in a church, the generation in the middle, right there in the middle, that assumes. Let us not be that generation in the middle. Let us not assume the gospel that we know it or others. And, no, let's not take it for granted. Because if we do, what will we leave behind? Those who disbelieve. One generation believes, the next assumes, the next denies. What do we need, Paul is saying? We need to be rubbing shoulders with faithful followers of Jesus like Timothy did with his grandmother and his mother. Who was that for you? There's somebody probably, if you're trusting Christ today, there's somebody, there was a sincere, faithful example somewhere. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your mom. You had a dad who maybe didn't believe in those faithful mothers that kept taking their kids to church. If that's you, God bless you. Keep doing it, right? Who shared the faith and maybe it wasn't held by the rest of the family with their children. Right? Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was a grandmother for you. Maybe it was somebody else. But it was somebody. Thank God for her or him or whoever it was. And then think about being that to somebody else in your life here at Bethany or outside of Bethany. It doesn't have to be biological family. A faithful, sincere, held faith goes so far. But parents, we have to do this. Do your kids, do my kids, do they see a sincere, deep faith in me? Or is it just, let's just get them to church, which is good, get them here, they need to hear the gospel, but do they see it translate into home life too? Or into our decision-making process as a family? We need faithful mothers who live out the gospel, who live out the truth in front of each other. So the first one, help we have is mentors. Those that come above, over, and, and pour into our life. Second one, those that live side to side with us as, as mothers, faithful examples. Here's the third one, our final one today. We need a mission. A mission. The gift and spirit and boldness are our words there. A mission. Let's finish our passage. Verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, 
not of fear, but of power and, and love and self-control. Paul says in this little passage, I've remembered you. He says it a lot. I've remembered you, I've remembered you, I've remembered you. And now he says, I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind you of something, Timothy. I want you, Timothy, I want you to remember something that's really important. Remember now, Timothy was a man who's probably pretty timid, yet thrust into leadership. He was ordinary. He was a guy just like you and me, a person just like you and me. Maybe a man of many fears. How many of us have not experienced some kind of fear as a disciple of Jesus? Some kind of fear in ministry, some kind of fear in a relationship. If our calling is to, to love others, to be inconvenienced by others, share the truth with others, how many of us have not experienced at least some fear at some time? We have. We all have. You've experienced that. A fear that comes with standing up, being a disciple, living, following Jesus. All of us have. But what these verses are telling Timothy, Paul's passing on, and telling us is that you and I, not just Timothy now, each and every one of us, if you're a follower of Christ, has a gift from God. You have a gift. Some kind of gift. A gift from God. Given to you from the Holy Spirit who wants us to live boldly, not in fear. Maybe you never had a mentor Maybe you never had a godly mother or those in your life like that, but you do if you're a follower of Christ. Not only have the authority, but you also have the gift and the Holy Spirit to enable you to whatever assignment God's going to call you to. So you may not have had a mentor or a mother, but you do have this. You have some gift from God. Not only that, you've got His Holy Spirit residing in you, You've got the authority and the power you need to carry out whatever assignment he's going to give you. Whatever he's going to give you. And Paul says to Timothy, keep that fire alive. Keep that flame going. So you think of the, what are those called? Are they billows? You take those things, you kind of go to fire. You go, and it blows that air and you kind of see the embers. You can see it in your fireplace. The campfire kind of glowing. Right? Keep that fire alive, he says. I guess he means um, use it or lose it, Right? you got to fan it into flame. We were having a conversation this last week and uh, last week at our daughter's school. Uh, we were talking about education with this lady who was at the school, and uh, you know, she said to us, yeah, we want, we want our kids to use their brains. She said, because, you know, if we don't use our brains, they prune up. I looked at her, I was like, they, oh, what do you mean by that? Like, yeah, uh, yeah, they do. I said, yeah, they, they do. They prune up. We've got to use our, 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 our brains. I guess it's true. And I thought what she meant was if we don't use our brains they they kind of they, they do they atrophy they get weak we don't think about them and use them they shrivel up she said or you think of atrophied muscles if you've been in a cast before and you can't use that arm or you can't use that leg it atrophies doesn't it 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 prunes i guess it shrivels up right you, you don't use it it's the same for our faith why would it be any different it's the same for our gifts the same for our hearts. We have to develop them. We, ha we have to, to grow. Disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, leaders in the church, they have to be grown. They have to be developed. They don't arrive fully formed, do they? None of us do. Fan into flame, he says, Timothy. Fan into flame the gift you have. 
We want to be a place, Bethany Church, that fans into flame what God is doing here, not corporately, but in your life too. I want us to be that, a place that fans into flame what's going on in your life, the gifts God has given you, places to serve, relationships to have, people to love, a community to engage with. Fan into flame, Timothy. Right? So Paul urges Timothy so we would develop, but also because Timothy was afraid. He was scared. He was nervous. Don't you fear at times what God might ask you to do? Not even what he is, right? But don't sometimes fear even, we go a step out. What could he ask me to do? We go further out. We don't even live in the, the reality of the present. We go, what might he ask me to do? Don't you fear that sometimes? Or what he might ask you to say to someone? Or give up for someone? What if God is calling you just to share the gospel with just one person that you really care for? One person. So what do you do if you're just afraid? I get that way. I can't think of so many. I can think of way more opportunities where I thought, I should have said that, right? How many have those? I, oh, that's what God, that's what that moment was for as I'm walking away, right? We have a lot more. I have a lot more of those. What do you do if it's fear? You do what Paul did with Timothy. You fight fear with the promises of God. That's what we're called to do. You fight that fear with the promises of God. Paul's essentially saying to Timothy here, I know you're afraid, Timothy. So much is resting on your shoulders. I know you're afraid, mom or dad who's called to disciple these kids, or employee or boss who's asked to love these employees or work faithfully with integrity. I know there's a fear there. I know there's a fear that you've been wanting to talk about the gospel for, with him for so long. I, I know it, Timothy. But God's Spirit's with you. You remember that, Timothy? God's Spirit's there. And he's given you, Timothy, a gift to use. And he's given us all a mission to live on. And he will give you the power and love you need to do it, Timothy. That's what Paul's doing. I know you've got a fear, Timothy, but fight it with the promises of God. Fight it with those. You fight fear promise and you hold on to them and you move forward fight fear with promise take a look at this i love this verse coming from second corinthians 120 for all the promises of god find their yes in him that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to god for his glory so fight fear with the promises of god because in Him, Christ, He's our yes, our yes. And so we let our life then in those promises, we let our, our, our church be an amen to His glory. That's what, that's what Paul's saying here. That's what he's saying to Timothy. He is our yes. He is our surety. He is our ultimate promise that moves us forward in life. To fight fear. But He's given us help. He hasn't left us alone. He's given us Mentors that we can have in the church. He's given us mothers that we can live out faith in front of each other. He's given us a mission, all powered by His Spirit that dwells inside of us. We are not alone. Let's pray. 
Father, we come today to this text of 1 Timothy. We're called, Lord, we're called in this book, in this letter, to be those who champion the gospel, endure for the gospel. And in particular today, Lord, we look at this idea of helping people follow Jesus. That's what Paul was doing. Lord, I would pray, continue to do this work here. Continue to do this here at Bethany. Create and continue to create a culture of mentors that we would seek to have a Paul in our life, that we would seek to have a Timothy in our life and be a Paul to someone else. Let us see the value in living deeply seated faith in front of each other. And Lord, let us keep our eyes on the mission, keep our eyes on the gospel, keep our eyes on the gifts that God has given us and the Holy Spirit to lead us forward in courage as a people and as individuals, Lord, we pray. To the glory of Christ's name, may he reign supreme in Bethany Church and in our hearts. He is our yes and our amen. Thank you.